Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Um, as you're making your way to Galatians chapter 4, a year ago, while preaching a message about the incarnation, God becoming man in Christ, a thought occurred to me that I had never researched and brought a message on Satan's efforts to derail God's plan for Messiah to be born. And so I asked uh, ask you last uh, year to remind me this time, next year meaning now, and a few of you did, and so I share that message this morning, and I've titled that message, Satan's Subtle Sabotage Stopped. Satan's Subtle Sabotage Stopped. And I say subtle because it wasn't like he broadcasted, uh, publicized his efforts to thwart the prophecies. He did it in a stealth sort of a way. He, he did it in a behind-the-scenes way because Satan operates with deception. His attacks are, are usually that way. But make no mistake, the arch enemy of God and God's people pulled out all the stops, did all that he could to prevent Jesus from being born, to somehow derail the coming of Messiah But God stopped Satan's subtle attempts to sabotage the first Christmas. Galatians chapter 4, for a brand new Christmas message, for me anyway. Uh, Others have preached it, I'm sure. But for me, this is uh, uh, the maiden voyage of this message. Galatians 4, beginning in verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because your sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You see the clear reference to the triunity of God in these verses, Father, Son, and Spirit. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son, and of a son, than an heir of God through Christ. Folks, Christmas wasn't by accident. It was intentional. As this verse in verse 4 tells us, when the fullness, when God was ready for it to take place, he sent forth his son who was made of a woman. As of course, that fulfills the prophecy of the virgin conception, birth of Christ. He lived under the law, fulfilling the prophecy and the requirement that Messiah must keep the law perfectly so that uh, those who would believe in him would be adopted, would be grafted in uh, even though we're wild branches grafted into the olive tree, being a part of the people of God. Our text denotes such a plan. The Godhead determined that God would come to earth as a man and that uh, he would ultimately die for sin. He determined that it would happen. He determined when it would happen, how it would happen um, for the God-man to live to come and live a sinless, perfect life in order to be the acceptable, uh, acceptable substitute to pay the sin debt. Now, um, how is it? What, 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 what is the prophecy and uh, what does the text say about this actually taking place? 1 Peter 1, verses 18 through 20 tells us, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain a conversation or lifestyle received by, by tradition from your fathers. Uh, in other words, 
you could not work out your redemption uh, through the empty uh, ability of your life and what you receive from your, your forebears, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and with spot, without spot, notice, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest, he was made evident in these last times for you. So when what did the plan, uh, uh, when was the plan of redemption established? When? Before time, before the foundation of the world. Uh, in the ageless past, clearly it says that Christ was foreordained for that purpose. Amen? Do we agree on that point of theology? Yeah, it, it, it teaches that. And in reference to the Antichrist, um, Revelation 13, 8 says, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, and then it qualifies this Lamb, the very Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So in eternity past, the decree of God was that the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, would become man, and he ultimately would die as the sinner's substitute. That was decreed before there was time, in the ageless past. Now, for our purpose, and for us, Ephesians 1.4 says, according as he has chosen us in him, when? Before the foundation of the world. So this follows the very same pattern, just, what, just like Christ was foreordained to come and to suffer and to die, to redeem us, so too we were foreordained, in fact, to be chosen in Him. Second Timothy 1.9 talks about that He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace. Well, when did He do that? It was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now, was given us is a passive participle, meaning it was from the outside deposited in our account, if you will. It was granted unto us. It was bestowed upon us by someone else. And of course, that someone else is the Lord himself. And, and, and so he uh, credited or bestowed the, the, uh, the merits of Christ into our account. Now, when did he do that? Did he do that upon the point of us believing? Is that what it says? No. He did it when? Before time began. And so, if you chafe at all, if you wonder about the election of the believer, of the choosing of the believer in Christ in eternity past, then to be consistent, you need to wonder also about was Christ really chosen in eternity past to do what he did, or did it just happen upon him in that given moment? Do you all appreciate the, uh, the comparison? And so if the election of Christ in eternity past to be Messiah did take place, and Scripture teaches it did, so too the election of all those ultimately who will believe also took place in the ageless past. You follow that argument. So that, uh, that, that's a point of theology, and it's relevant because if he did the one to produce the other, then the other has to also come to pass, or his word is null and void. And of course, we wholeheartedly believe it. So to seek to sabotage this plan is in fact sin, and we know that Satan is the father of sin, the father of temptation to sin, um, and yet he's discreet, and he tried to, uh, uh, to derail the first Christmas. But how did he know 
what to do. And how did he know? You see, Satan is not omniscient. Satan, Satan doesn't know everything. He's not omnipresent. He, he's not everywhere at the same time as God is. And he's not omnipotent. He's not all-powerful uh, that he can just do anything he wants to do. So therefore, that begs the question, how did he know? Who told him? Who told Satan? God told him. You see, you say, that sounds counterintuitive. But the Lord in his written prophecy through biblical prophecy told Satan, told everyone what would come to pass. You see, the Spirit of God inspired the writing of biblical text and gave Satan a heads up regarding everything that was to come to pass, including the first Christmas. But why would he do that? He does all things after the good counsel of his own will for his own glory. You see, Colossians 2, 15, this might give us the answer tells us that having spoiled principalities and powers, that is, he made a wreck of the evil forces, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it, in the gospel. And so in the gospel, God becoming man, living a sinless life, dying as the uh, substitute for uh, the sin debt of all who will believe, in doing that, and you believed, this is making a, 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 this is broadcasting to the world. God is glorious and mighty. Satan is defeated. And so, just like Satan does all things to thwart God's plan, God does all things for his own glory, including tipping off Satan through written prophecy about what was going to come to pass. Now, uh, in my study, and I've, uh, I've been looking at this off and on for a year, but primarily in uh, maybe the last month. I've kind of boiled it down uh, and summarized it in three primary points. If you're taking notes about how and when uh, and uh, the, the tactics and all of Satan seeking to sabotage the first Christmas. The first I offer to you is he targeted Christ's humanity. Satan gave himself to targeting the actual humanity of Christ. That is Emmanuel, God with us, God with us in human form. And within that, within the humanity of Christ, uh, there's a couple of... Now, you're, you're going to be able to leave here, and you're going to be able to come up with a half a dozen, dozen other examples. I'm just giving you the biggest of the big, uh, from my perspective, of how he sought to derail Christmas. And the first one is his humanity, um, because the first, uh, first thing that happened, our original parents, um, they sinned, and God said, I promised death because of sin, uh, the, the day you eat the fruit thereof, you shall die. The Hebrew is dying, you shall end up dead. And so God is true to his word, but Satan says, aha, they've sinned. Now they have to die. No more re- a story of redemption. It is over. I have won. Of course, uh, Adam, uh, God went seeking out Adam. Adam, where art thou? I'm here. The wife you gave me uh, did it. She says the serpent did it. And, of course, he covered them with animal skins. He unilaterally sacrificed to cover their sin, to give them an atonement. You all follow the, uh, the theology there? So God took care of what Satan wanted to thwart. Well, Satan uh, knew that he was beat in that. And so what God said is, 
I'm going to put, uh, make an enemy between thee, Satan, and the woman, God speaking to Satan, and between thy seed and her seed. He shall bruise thy head, uh, thou shalt bruise his heel. He is going to crush you, uh, you're going to nip at his heel. And so Satan said, aha, the seed of the woman, she's going to have a baby. He understood about the seed, bringing, bringing about uh, 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 Another, another life, uh, the seed of the apple brings an apple tree, the seed of uh, whatever brings that. And so he's now looking for new life. And what is to happen? Cain and Abel came on, on the scene. And so what did he do? He inspired, as it were, Cain to be a murderer and for Abel to be married. You say, how do you know that Satan did that? Well, First John 3 in verse 12, the first part of verse 12 tells us, it says, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one. Who's the wicked one? Satan. And he slew his brother. And so in some way, shape, or form, Cain uh, was instilled with jealousy from Satan, the text tells us, and killed his brother. And so Satan says, aha, I've got him now. If it wasn't that Adam and Eve uh, uh, were going to be uh, eliminated, certainly her seed is because after all, one of them's dead and one of them's a murderer. Neither one of them can be a righteous substitute. You all follow the argument. And of course, God foiled that. He stopped that. In that, Adam and Eve went on to have uh, many other children, the next one being Seth and then Enoch, who was five generations later. These are righteous men. In fact, Seth, uh, uh, I mean, uh, Enoch uh, uh, being righteous to the degree that it says that he walked with God and was not, for God took him. Uh, he walked so close to the Lord, the Lord just took him by way of early rapture, if you will. And so there were generations uh, of righteous seed from Adam and Eve uh, coming up until the time of Noah. And so now Satan's got him. Satan has humanity, for the whole world is wicked in the eyes of the Lord, and the second one, the first uh, reason was the fall. The second one was the flood. Um, he had misjudged Adam and Eve. He'd misjudged Cain and Abel and all the rest. And so he corrupted everyone on the earth to the degree that God said, I am going to wipe out the entire civilization. But Genesis 6 says, say it with me, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so there was still a righteous seed. And that righteous seed brought about the new earth, as it were, after the flood waters receded. And there were those who then procreated and followed the Lord. So targeting the humanity of Christ, that is the righteous seed line, God stopped Satan time and time again. And there's probably a myriad of other examples uh, of Satan trying to head off the humanity, Christ's humanity, that line, that human line, uh, ultimately being realized in Bethlehem in the manger. Secondly, Satan targeted Christ's ethnicity, his ethnicity, namely being a Jew. Um, the devil uh, uh, hates the nation of Israel, always has. And some 4,000 years ago, God gave Abram, before his name was changed to Abraham, gave him uh, some promises. And, and part of that promise was found in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, from thy father's house, 
unto a land that I will show you. There's the first uh, promise of the Palestinian covenant, that the Jew has a land. And uh, I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee. There's the Abrahamic covenant. There's going to be, a, it's going to be an ethnicity. I will bless thee, and I will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Now look, I will bless them that bless thee, curse him that curses thee, and in thee, Abraham, in you shall all families of the earth be blessed. That, that uh, covenant was stated and restated and restated and was given then to Isaac and was given to Jacob and was given to Joseph and on and on and on that ethnic line ultimately was going to be realized in Messiah to the degree uh, that John chapter 1 says he came unto his own. His own received him not, but he did come unto his own. And Romans 1 says uh, the gospel, the power of God unto salvation, unto the Jew first. And so we see the ethnicity, that line, and we see in Scripture time and time again how the descendants of Abraham, uh, they would exist forever according to what God said, yet um, Satan wanted to foil that. And so Abraham and Sarah were childless until they were old. Uh, And yet uh, Abraham was told that he's going to have offspring uh, as many as the stars in heaven. And Abraham's scratching his head and Sarah can't uh, conceive. And what am I going to do? Oh, I've got an idea. I wonder where he got this idea to take Hagar uh, and, and to take her in. As, as Sarah's handmaid, and she conceived and had Ishmael, and God said, no, he's not the promised one. I promised that you and Sarah would <clears throat> have, have seed, have conception, and uh, the stars of heaven would be like the number that you will have. And so Satan sought to once again sabotage the plan of redemption through ethnicity, Hagar, was not of the Jewish line. You all following the argument here? And Sarah hadn't conceived. Well, guess what? In their 90s, Abraham 100, roughly, Sarah conceived and had Isaac. <clears throat> and then Isaac and Rebekah were uh, barren for the longest time. And God intervened. And so Esau and Jacob were uh, delivered. Of course, Esau trying to kill Jacob. So uh, one of them, again, would be a murderer and the other would be dead. And God intervened. And you know the rest of the story. And time and time again, with Satan hating the Jew, sought to eliminate the ethnic line of Messiah. He did that through the physical human line. He did that through the ethnic line, that the seed from Abraham would bless all the peoples of the earth. Satan sought to, to disrupt that. And he knew, that he knew it because God gave the prophecy. The prophecies were written down and shared with family after family after family. Now, the royal line <clears throat> had come down to a single male. Second Chronicles 22, 10 through 12. I just, I've just come across this. I've just learned this. Uh, maybe this is something you've never picked up on before. Now, when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, an uh, uh, evil mother, evil king, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal family of the house of Judah. Ah, so he had to come from the loins of Abraham, and he had to be born into the house of Judah, of the line of David. You all following this? And so this evil uh, uh, queen, mother of the king, arose, destroyed all the royal family of Judah, but Jehoshabeth, 
the daughter of the king, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were about to be put to death. And she put him uh, and nursed him and his nurse in a bedroom. Then Jehoshabiah, the daughter of King Jehoram, and wife of Jehoiada, the priest, because she was a sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah so that, notice, she did not put him to death. And he remained with them six years, hidden in the house of God, while Athaliah reigned over the land. Satan said, I've got him. I've got him down to just a few handfuls. I'm going to inspire this wicked woman to put out a decree uh, that everyone in this royal in the line of Judah, from the loins of Jacob, from Isaac, from Abraham, to whom the prophecy was originally given, I've got them. I've got them cornered. They are, they are rats in the corner. I'm going to exterminate all of them. And he did, except for one, Joash. God stopped Satan's subtle effort at sabotaging the line of Messiah. You see, if the people who came from Abraham's descendants, Israel, were ever annihilated as a people group, then the word of God would be untrue. You've heard me say it. You've heard others say it. If you want to convince an atheist using one word of the veracity, the credibility of Scripture, the truthfulness of Scripture, what is that one word? Israel. Just say Israel. You see, folks, there are not any Moabites. There are not any Ammonites. There are not any uh, Amalekites. There's no more of these people groups. The Hittites have been gone for some time now. But the Israelites still remain, and bless God, 1948 became their own autonomous nation again. The dry bones are putting skin back on once again. We rejoice in that because God's word is being proven once again. Though Satan has taken every effort, made every effort. Good night, must you have, shouldn't uh, the world have thought the Jews are done in the mid-1940s? And yet, there's a regathering to the land. The fig tree is budding right before our eyes. Now, it's not believe, saying that they're all believing. Many are. Alden and Hagit are in Tel Aviv, even as we speak, sharing the uh, message of, of Israel's Messiah with the people there. So, the biblical narrative of Israel, captive in Egypt, the northern kingdom being taken by Assyria, the southern kingdom being taken by Babylon, uh, the Medo-Persian threat, to destroy every Jew during the life of Esther. And it was said to Esther, you know, you can make a difference here. You can stand in the gap for such a time as this. If you'll do it, if you'll, uh, if you'll uh, mount up the courage and, and stand for God's ethnic people, he'll bless. And he did. And they were not eliminated. Satan's plan was stopped. And then another way that he sought to sabotage Christmas was targeting the pregnancy, the delivery, if you will, of Christ himself. When the fullness of time actually had come. When God decided, now is the time. And Satan had a lot of lead time here. Because since the Garden of Eden, where God told Satan, the seed of the woman is going to crush your head 
He's had a lot of opportunity to plan. He's been listening to a lot of prophets. He's been reading the tea leaves, as it were, and trying to get an idea of when this is going to be. Now, he knew what was going to happen because Isaiah 7, 14, and 9, 6 tell us. It says, therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Well, Satan was able to read that. He, he, he said, okay, I want to learn about this sign. A virgin shall conceive. What? That's what he meant by the state of woman? Yeah, that's what he meant. And bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel. Oh, he knew what Emmanuel meant. God with us. He understood that. For unto you, unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So he knew what would happen. And Satan was given a clue as to where it would happen because in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 it says but thou Bethlehem Ephrathah not just any old Bethlehem but a very specific Bethlehem five miles to the south west I believe of Jerusalem I've been there it's a desolate place now I believe spiritually Um, but it says Bethlehem though you're little among the thousands of Judah all the villages in Judah the one that I'm picking Yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. Oh, by the way, this is the one whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. This is the self-eternal, self-existent God who is going to be born in Bethlehem. And so Satan understood from biblical prophecy what would happen. God would become man through the, the loins of a virgin. And he would be born in Bethlehem, the city of David. He is the ultimate royal king. Satan understood this. In fact, Haggai chapter 2 and verse 7, one of my favorite songs that was done uh, last night, Fred, uh, by in the Messiah uh, concert, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Of course, that's uh, referencing uh, the return of Christ, the second coming of Christ, but again, given in prophecy that there is one who's coming uh, and, and, and he's going to fill the temple with his glory. So, even though it was evident to Satan who the Redeemer would be, where he would be born, what he would ultimately do, crush the head of Satan, purchase redemption, he would not have known when to be looking. I mean, world history is pretty long. Now, maybe in the mind of Satan, uh, it's not long. I don't know. I don't know if a thousand years are as one day to him as they are to the Lord. But he's had a lot of time to try to figure out when is the seed of the woman going to come to crush my head? When is he going to be born in Bethlehem? And on and on and on. If it were not for the prophecy given in Daniel chapter 9 that says, Messiah the Prince the anointed one. He will be alive some 483 years after the command to go and rebuild Jerusalem, restore the walls, which was given in the book of Nehemiah in the mid-400s BC. So you all following this? So all Satan had to do was watch for the timing of the command to go and restore Jerusalem. Well, that, that happened with Nehemiah under Artaxerxes in Nehemiah chapter 1. Y'all following this argument? And he just had to count up 69 weeks of years, 483 years. Presto, bingo, there you have it, 30, 33, 35 A.D. He knew exactly 
when. And we, we know that it was known because Simeon and Anna in the temple were waiting for the consolation of Israel. When the king would finally arrive. And so Satan had an understanding of that. Well, what did he do? He made quick work. He knew the location, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. He knew exactly the town and the village. He knew the timing. And so he made sure that he bought up every room in all the hotels in town. Okay? Why would he have ever done it? Why does he care? So that the prophecy would not be fulfilled. God's word is, not, is, is void. Ergo, we must not believe him. You all follow that? And what happened? God stopped his sabotage and created a place in a barn, as it were, for Jesus to be born. Satan knew that he was spoiled again. His plan was stopped again. So what did he do? Incited jealousy in King Herod when he was told a king had been born. King Herod said, go find him so that I may come and, quote, worship him also. And, of course, the magi, the wise men, returned another way. They did not tell him. So King Herod had it ordered that every baby boy two years of age and under in and around the Bethlehem area were killed. And the prophecy was that there was great lamentation for their children who are not Wow! He went to every effort to make sure that Messiah would not arrive, so that Messiah would not be born. He would not be born at the time, the place, under the conditions that God had prescribed. And those are just a handful of ways Satan sought to disrupt the redemptive work of Christ. We only focused on his birth today. Folks, if you think about it, Jesus came as was promised. He fulfilled uh, his mission as was promised and was as was assigned, if you will, ordained, foreordained that he would do. Satan threw every obstacle, uh, every trick in the book to disrupt that plan because he knew the consequences. That is, a show would be made openly over him and his head would be crushed. Now, if The Lord went to all of that degree to be the Redeemer. And Satan threw all of his forces at stopping it. How important are you to the Lord? Amen? How important are you to him? He loves you with an everlasting love. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. Wow. That ought to evoke a cause, an eruption, a spontaneous gratefulness uh, and glory to God for the good things that he has done to ultimately pay, pay the ultimate sin debt of all guilty sinners who would ever trust in him. It begs the question, do you love him today? Are you following him? Have you received him? Is Christ your own? This one who was preordained, foreordained, to be Messiah, to die the sinner's substitute, have you received this payment for your sin by faith? How do I do that, preacher? 
Scripture says, Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, save me. Forgive me. I confess I need you. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Make me your own. By faith, I call upon you this day. Lord, I'm thankful for your word. And, and uh, oh, it's just uh, amazing the ways that the enemy, uh, he wanted to do his business, to seek, to kill, to, to steal, and to destroy. But Lord Jesus, you came that we might have life and have it more abundantly, for which I am grateful, eternally grateful. May our hearts swell, overflow with praise and adoration and thanksgiving to you for who you are and what you've done. Touch every heart in this place. For those of us who know you, Lord, that even now we would say thank you for what you've done for me. Praise you for your plan of redemption. And Lord, for those who don't know you here physically or by way of internet, would you move on those hearts to draw to yourself as only you can. Salvation is of the Lord. Would you touch those lives uh, and who would call upon you even right now? We're going to stand.